Welcome to Lead Gen Nation with your hosts, Sean McCormick and Ryan Drummond. So, Phil, I wanted to uh, to get you on the podcast for, for a number of reasons. One, you've been in the, the Lead Gen space for a super long time, and it's kind of cool to look at the evolution of Lead Gen through, through your eyes, so to speak. Um, and the reason why I say that is you, you are one of the pioneers in, in lead generation starting uh, with Ward Media, and you, you guys did some really cool stuff there and then went into to education and I think insurance and you had an exit and then started a, a paper call network and, and then you, you sold that and you've done a ton of stuff. I know you've done some stuff with call centers. And so it's always cool to, to take a look at the industry through someone else's eyes. And so maybe you could just give us a, a quick background on on what you've done and and what you're up to today. Sure. Well, Sean, thank you for making me feel very old. <laughs> <laughs> My kids do a, a, an ordinarily good job of that on a day-to-day basis, but today I feel like I should have a few extra gray hairs when I get home. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, uh, I'll throw this out there that, you know, I, I may be a gray beard, but I've known you in the space a really long time also. So uh, <laughs> let me not let me not get out of the conversation without giving you an extra dig there, too. I appreciate it. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, I've been at this, you know, quite some time. I think I've been in digital marketing or digital direct response in one capacity or another since 1998 which, uh, you know, hangs a couple of decades on, on my career in the space. And uh, it, it's been interesting, you know, not only, uh, not only from the evolution of, you know, I guess what I've done, but just, you know, where the space has gone and, uh, and taking advantage of the various technologies and platforms that are out there. I, I'd like to think that, you know, lead gen has evolved in and of itself in terms of not just the mediums itself, but, but really the quality that it's bringing the users out there in terms of, uh, the products that marketers will be able to show them on a day-to-day basis and lead generation in general is at least in my estimation now become really important to businesses across the board. And it goes, you know, goes without saying for your direct response companies, but really for companies that live in the fortune 500 at this point. So um, I, I would think that, you know, there's, there's a great benefit that we've been able to uh, sort of evolve towards over the course of at least my career. And speaking of which, uh, I, uh, I, I got into the space, um, working for a company called $10.com and $10.com was a company that had, were basically, and you know, it, it was what it was. They were selling products for $10, uh, a sale. And what the CEO recognized in 1998 was that there was no room anymore for, you know, these small little e-commerce businesses that weren't going to, uh, get any kind of real lift outside of their valuation for an exorbitant amount of money that had zero basis. So we shifted the whole, uh, the whole basis of the company and started to create a gift with purchase scenario. So as a, on a wholesale B2B level, telling, selling people product uh, or, or gift certificates that they were able to choose the gift they wanted instead of the, the logo and printed gift that we had to give them. Uh, that evolved for us very quickly into uh, a partnership with a company called Grublato. 
and Group Lotto had all the uh, all the users out there, but they didn't have any real product, and they were sh they were running out of products to show their user base. We we um, combined with them to build uh, one of the earliest uh, co-reg uh, co platforms where we were uh, essentially signing them up and and uh, allowing them to pick a free gift as long as they went through a gauntlet of offers uh, to you know to sign up for, and that obviously was. Uh, you know, was prolific in its day, but at the end of the day, that you know, that that was considered to be a nefarious practice. But essentially, that was that catapulted me into lead gen. So I learned the value of what a potential customer is for uh, you know for a business owner and for you know for buyer uh, sellers of product. And from there, uh, it allowed me to you know sort of uh, get a lens into the that world that that lives out there. And from there, I I started my own business and started Ward Media. And we launched initially as just an email marketing company, but quickly realized that we needed to pivot and uh, and start um, getting uh, getting in on a, on, a, on a much more granular level to to deliver what our clients wanted. And you know, we built up a sales team, we built up a phenomenal process. And uh, I sound a little bit like Al Gore when you know when he said he invented the internet. <laughs> that uh, we were the, we were the company that invented call verified leads. Uh, we were, you know, we certainly believe we were the first to do it. There might have been some others that were doing it just along, you know, along with us. But, you know, it, it was necessity becomes the mother of all invention. We were partners with a company that did a tremendous amount in search engine marketing. And they had taken in a rather large investment. And their, uh, their investors no longer wanted them to partner with sales-based organizations like ours. And they wanted them to go out and build their own sales teams and and sort of get the you know get the lead allocation from the source. Well, that left left us a very sales heavy organization without a source of traffic. So we went about trying to figure out how to go ahead and do that, and we developed the uh, the call verified lead component, um, which is essentially now how all leads are really are really done at volume in the education space, where people will sign up for a low end lead. And that it gets qualified in the call center, and the call center actually fills in all the information on behalf of the user. Uh, and that was, you know, that was a process that we came up with and uh, catapulted our business to, uh, at the end of my run running that division, to twenty-seven million dollars. And um, you know, it's really become the premier way that um, lead generation companies now generate leads on behalf of not only education leads, but a host of uh, a ton of other. Um, categories of, of, of products from, you know, mortgage, DME, uh, insurance, the list goes on. So, and, uh, so Phil, yeah, real quick. So sure. early, early on when, when you started the verification process, what were some of the early components of building that system and that process based off of what, because uh, I, I think that that's really relevant, especially for a prospect. What we're going through right now is setting up that quality assurance team, the right information and that it, it really is truly qualified, but what did that look like for you guys when you were, you know, ground zero starting to build it? So to be perfectly honest with you, we didn't actually, um, we didn't actually let our clients know that we were, we were driving traffic this way. It was a big no, no. In fact, back then, um, when uh, Apollo group and I'll, and I'll, I will answer your question in one second, but Apollo group, yeah, 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 when it. they found out that we were actually generating leads in this fashion, they cut us off for two years. So Apollo Group being the parent company of University of Phoenix, which was by far the biggest buyer in the space, they actually wouldn't work with us for two years. It actually took 
them working with companies who were doing it this way for over a year before they accepted us back as a client. Um, but what was their biggest uh, tip about it? Uh, they didn't want us speaking to their client before they had an opportunity to do so or their uh, prospect. So that was never done before. Nobody was ever talking to the, the prospect on the phone before they got to them. Right. And what they learned actually is that um, if they made it through our process, they ended up being a much better prospect on the phone because this is someone who is actually interested in giving their information, some important personal person, PIP, I should say, personally identifiable information uh, over the phone. So uh, it actually made for a better uh, for a better lead uh, to begin with. Got it. Phil, I have a question for you. I mean, wait, wait. I don't oh, sorry. He asked the second. They answered the second. So I, I actually really didn't answer the question. So the, the <laughs> <laughs> so the 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 thing that you know that that set us apart and you know and made us successful um, at it is that you know we 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 got it. We had an opportunity to really hone in on on the data points that were you know that were relevant and made and made much more sense towards completing a proper lead. So when we set it when we set it up, we built we built our product around uh, training our reps to really focus on the data that was important. Some of the other data was inferential and we could have, and we completed it on our own. And some of the data we really needed to have it accurately given to us from the, uh, uh, from the, uh, from the user themselves. And what ended up, what it ended up evolving towards was a consultative sales process where we actually were, were, were the coach on the phone instead of being, you know, a, a straight sales opportunity. Um, and that, Sean, I know you had a question, but I'm just itching to ask this because my ears perked up on one of the things that Phil was saying. So what was the, what did it look like, uh, early days in terms of training your reps on the phone? I mean, that's everything of getting the right reps in and making sure that they're asking the right questions and they're doing it in the right way. I mean, how did that look for you guys from a training perspective? Well, we went into environments that were already rich with call centers, uh, in, in, you know, from a geographical perspective. So uh, our our early our early components of what uh, of what we went into with this, we went to established call centers, people that already had sales agents uh, in place, and we were augmenting what they were doing. We were finding new you know new avenues for them uh, to sort of push their their reps into. We ended up uh, we ended up partnering with a company that had both uh, U.S. based and near shore call center. And then, uh, and then from there, we developed our own assets here uh, in the U.S. And specifically, we, you know, to answer your question, um, we went, uh, we went to areas like Tampa, South Florida, uh, that were rich in in call center environments. And we were able to get reps that were used to dealing with people on the phone and already had that component uh, in place. Mm. Sean. <laughs> Phil, I, you know, there's there's two key words yeah. that you mentioned when you're going through kind of your your start at, at ten dollars dot com and then through Ward. One of them was valuation. From you know, when you got your start, were you always looking at companies from a what can we do to increase valuation standpoint, or were you just looking at like if we if we increase the process or, or make the process better, that will increase valuation? How do you how do you look at it from a business standpoint? So, uh, great question, and you know, I've I've had three exits in my career and never once have I ever built a business looking at valuation. Every single time I built a business, it was all about uh, how to make a better, uh, how to create a better product, run a better business. And quite frankly, have the business 
you know, make as much money as it could on its own. Never did I set out to build a business to sell. And I think that's, you know, uh, that some people have been successful in doing that. Uh, I think it's much harder to get to your goal when you build a business to sell it ra and build your valuation rather than build a better business, a better product and a better process. If you're doing that, chances are you're going to be a lot more successful short term and long term. Yep, I, I completely agree with you. Um, earlier, you, you mentioned, you know, the call verified stuff that you were doing at Ward. It really catapulted the company, right? Because you guys were generating much higher quality leads than everybody else. Do you kind of wish you got, I remember back, back then, it was probably 07, 08, maybe. You guys were, were really vocal in the marketplace of letting people know what you were doing. Do you think, you know, do you wish you kind of kept it more quiet and you could have prevented a lot of the other companies that started really becoming competitors to Ward? Um, so, I mean, in the market, I mean, yeah. interesting question. And, you know, I've given this a lot of thought over time. We, 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 we put it out there from the standpoint of the, we, it was a, a tactical decision to go out and tell the world what we were doing. And the reason we did it is that initially, as I mentioned, we got burned by Apollo Group. And um, we had the biggest buyer in the space who refused to buy from us for a, period, a long period of time. And what we felt, you know, strategically is that we needed to let everybody know that this is how we were, you know, our clients and byproduct is our competitors got there too. But we needed to let them know that this is exactly how we were um, developing leads and we had to become our own advocate. So we really needed to get out there and really tell the world that, you know, we were, you know, we were doing it this way and why it was better. And it was a really hard industry sell in letting people know that this was just a better and more effective and a cleaner way of driving leads uh, in both volume and quality perspective. That being said, I don't, you know, we probably, you know, accelerated some of the competition in the marketplace, but long story short, you, you know, and Sean, you know this very well, this is a copycat industry. When something yep. works really well for one or two companies, it's gonna get out there. People are gonna figure out your process. It, although, you know, even if it's intricate, it's not going to be rocket science and they're going to, they're, they're, you know, they'll, they'll secret shop your product and eventually they'll get close enough and, and, and copy it and, and be able to, uh, you know, duplicate what you're doing. So from our perspective, we felt like strategically it was a better move to get out there, advocate for ourselves, let the world know that what we were doing was probably a better product than they were already buying and let the chips fall where they may. I love it. So I guess, you know, from Ward, you, you started, was it Paper Call Network? So leaving, uh, well, so um, leaving Ward was, uh, was a very complicated scenario, as uh, <laughs> a lot of people know. We were, uh, we were the first acquisition of uh, Cavus Investment Corp, which is now known as Zeta Global today. And uh, um, part of our, our agreement was that you know, the executive staff needed to stay on for three years. So although, yeah, it's it's a long period of time uh, to sign on for, especially when you're an entrepreneur. And, um, you know, we we ended up uh, exiting out in 2011. And after that, I was just so burnt out on day to day that I, I took about six months, tried to figure out what I was going to do next, played a ton of golf, 
and looked at numerous opportunities. There were probably about nine things that I had going at that time. And I, for whatever reason, I had in my head that I was going to get out of lead gen. And it just wasn't what I was going to do anymore. And um, I needed to do something you know, different. And you know, I wanted to be very high-minded. I tried, I, I tried very hard and, and, and quite unsuccessfully uh, to raise uh, a nice chunk of money and, and buy a, uh, an app development business based in Israel. And that actually, um, you know, was sort of like the money that I spent on that was a good teaching lesson to myself that I didn't need to get so far afield from what I already knew. I just needed to pivot a little bit over to a new medium or a new space and actually put myself in a position to be successful again. So ultimately, that's what happened. Um, I partnered with a, a couple other guys. Uh, we started um, uh, the Click to Call Network. The name at first was was a, a benefit, and then ultimately actually uh, hamstrung us. But um, we built, you know, we built another business and just another medium of lead gen. At first, we you know we were selling paper call uh, as something completely other than you know than lead gen, and we weren't the only company in the marketplace by a long shot. But from our perspective, we stopped doing that, and we started again strategically going after business that was lead generation based as just another avenue and another channel of driving qualified leads. Um, I wish, uh, you know, I wish I'd stayed with it as a as an owner a little bit longer because I think over the last uh, eighteen months since I've exited out of that business, it's really taken off and it's really become again one of the focal points of how leads get generated today. Yeah, I agree. I, I think. Do you think that's more just a? Is it awareness? You know, with the the conferences that are coming up that are driving the the kind of the intrigue and or is it more just like it's more market demand i think it's a it's 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 two parts it's market demand and a um uh, buyers of leads are not necessarily set in the stone age but they're not exactly the the earliest adopters either Mm. and um you know i i had a very frustrating experience early on in the paper call space uh, I went um, and I forget what the name of the conference is. It was a uh, it was based on the as seen on TV market, mm-hmm. and you know that should have been tailor made for paper call because we were reaching the right consumers, people who were looking for the types of products that these people sold in infomercials. It was literally an apples to apples scenario. And when I got through this conference, I realized everybody there had just found the internet. It was like it was literally like talking to people who were stuck in the Stone Age. They had no idea what I was talking about when I was saying we were going to drive calls to their to their sales floor off of mobile phones. They just could not wrap their head around the concept. Mm. Lead generation buyers aren't nearly as bad, but <laughs> I don't put them that far off either. Right. I think, you know, one of the things that I always think about is, you know, like what's next? I look at the evolution of lead gen where it was, you know, basically single opt-ins and then, you know, the education space really drove it further with, with getting more qualified leads and, and dynamic targeting and all kinds of, of crazy mapping. And then, you know, you look at the ping post and the insurance industry of what they've been able to do. Um, what do you, what do you see next as an evolution in lead gen or, or is it more chat bot or SMS messaging? What are you, what are you seeing and what are you, what do you, what gets you most excited? Um, without giving away the, no, no, (laughs) (laughs) to be, you know, uh, to be honest, I, when, when I got into paper call, I was super excited about mobile. I thought mobile 
uh, you know, and, and, I'm, and I'm proven to a great degree to be correct, but I was a huge advocate of mobile. And I think that, you know, that it's not nearly done in terms of, uh, in terms of, you know, what can, you know, what are the, what are the sort of channels that are going to run through mobile uh, going forward? I only think it's going to get uh, more and more robust. I, I definitely don't think we're going to see that much growth off of SMS um, chatbots, you know, you're going to see a lot more growth. You know, the, what, what I've seen, you know, over, I guess the last six to 12 months in some of the AI that exists out there is, is really where I think things will go and not just on a mo on the mobile end, but on the desktop as well. I think AI is really, you know, if you, if you throw out, if you throw out all the other buzzwords that go with artificial intelligence and you're specifically speaking about, um, the various different technologies that will set people up for success in terms of conversion process, in terms of getting the right product in front of the right person at the right time, that's what's coming for us at this point. And so uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you a real good case point example uh, where you know, you're talking about an insurance product. And over the last 18 months, I've really gotten very heavy onto the insurance side of Legion. And I'll tell you that um, I, what I see coming now is based on voice inferencing and web inferencing and even activity inside apps, we're going to have the kind of intelligence that will be able to show the right offer to the right person at the right point in the funnel. And I don't think we're very far off from that. And the people that are able to capitalize on that early are going to get a real leg up. But as you and I both know, all three of us know, that doesn't mean that those are going to be the only people that are successful. Like like I said before, it's a real copycat industry, and if people aren't that far off, they'll get there as well. So I think that's that's really where I think the biggest push in lead gen is going to come from. You've mentioned you know you've been pretty heavily focused in the insurance vertical the last eighteen months. Um, do you care to give a little more insight on what you've been working on or what you've been doing? Sure. Without getting into crazy specifics just curious you know we we do a lot in the insurance vertical and we want to help insurance i guess my question to you is are you helping more organizations or are you helping them down to the, the like the insurance rep level so um less about the agency uh the agency so much as as uh, i've worked a lot with solution providers carriers and um and, and companies that that do do lead gen both in uh, in personal lines and commercial uh, commercial insurance, and so uh, it, it's it's funny actually. I used to think, especially after going through you know uh, running a paper call company for uh, five years, that I had really developed a, a good acumen about insurance, specifically with personal lines, auto insurance, health, um, and uh, and Medicare supplement insurance. And the reality is, I knew nothing. Uh, I knew you know I knew partially some of the buzzwords that are used and I played around with some of the uh, some of the appetite that exists there but really um, if you want to be successful long term in insurance going forward and, and this speaks mostly for personal lines you've really got to develop an acumen in terms of what what the carriers want so carriers if people don't know what that is you know carriers are the the actual underwriters of the uh, of the insurance product and there are so at this point there are so many different companies that touch um, an insurance policy from you know from the buyer all the way to the carrier that there's there's a lot of different you know d different solutions but also a lot of a lot of thumbs in the pies. Um, what I'm seeing going forward is that there is a tremendous amount of innovation 
that has ha- has come across over the last 18 months in insurance technology. A lot of it is, you know, built around um, things that none of us ever really need to see, but a lot of it is now being uh, is being built around the consumer facing side and giving the consumer, whether it be a business owner or an individual, and it doesn't really matter all that much in terms of the uh, the area of insurance because there's innovation happening everywhere. But now so much of the business intelligence that was previously available on the carrier side is now being made available to the individual. And it's allowing them to make the right choices for them at that time. And the amount of flexibility that's coming across is really fantastic from um, right now, you know, uh, the innovation of, of paying per mile on auto insurance or paying for, you know, if you don't drive your car more than a certain amount, you pay completely different rates than people who would pay uh, you know, on typical auto insurance. When you have uh, the right health insurance that finds the exact right fit for you at that time. Um, and you can, you know, you can either add or uh, eliminate coverages as you go. And the one that really, you know, really I love because I think it's a tremendous but so an easy but practical innovation is for businesses that do either seasonal business or or job based businesses. So consider a contractor who had who takes on a particular job and he needs to have a certain amount of insurance. And let's say he's got eight employees working that job, but his next job will have three and he doesn't three employees and he doesn't know when that next job is going to come so he goes ahead and he buys himself an insurance policy that he is able to switch off like a light switch when he completes the job and no longer has to pay into premiums or let a let a um let an insurance policy default when he no longer needs the the premiums uh in place so are you talking more like property and casualty or health insurance or it doesn't even matter? I don't think it really matters. I, I have definitely much more experience over the last 18 months in, in property and casualty. But yeah. um, I will tell you that health insurance, you know, from what I've seen, I've seen a lot of the innovation in the space that's happening as well. So when you have health insurance and, you know, your coverages change over time and, you know, the, the amount of flexibility that people have now in terms of coverages is tremendous. Now, um, I think the Affordable Care Act uh, was both a benefit in the sense that it covered many people that weren't covered, but it, you know, it hurt a lot of people that were already covered who were paying into a process that became incredibly more expensive. And they, you know, although they were covered with, you know, with coverages they didn't need, they didn't really pay all that much close attention to it. Now everybody's paying attention to every single detail that comes across because quite frankly, it's money out of their own pocket. That's awesome. I, I guess I, I have a kind of a two-part question to end my my part of the interview. You know, what is something you wish, you know, looking at it from a, a carrier perspective, that you wish that the consumers knew about the carriers and vice versa? What do you wish that the carriers, carriers understood better about the consumers of their product? So, I mean, that could be a positive and a negative question. Yeah. <laughs> Depending how you want to look at it, yeah, it's very true. Um, you know, so what do I think the um, uh, the buyers of the policies? Uh, I, I think you could know about the carriers. Know yeah. about the carriers. I think um, largely, I think uh, carriers are very, very focused on their premiums, and um, what I what I think 
there's there's a little bit of a disconnect between you know carriers and and buyers of policies is that um, it's it, up till now insurance has been so muddled because there are so many different people in between the carrier and the buyer of the policy that the buyer of the policy is not exact is not paying for uh, is paying for more than they need and the carrier is put in a position where they have to charge more for it because they don't they simply you know they simply need to cover their own end on their tables i think you know and i don't think it's going to correct it anytime soon but i think if um uh if majority of buyers of policies spend a little bit more time understanding what their needs were instead of you know relying on people uh, that didn't necessarily care or didn't necessarily know, I think they'd be a lot more happy with the coverage that they were getting from those carriers. That's interesting. So you think like the middlemen are, are creating more, I guess, red tape, maybe not red tape, but more confusion around the products. Well, I'll say this. I mean, I spent a lot of, like I said, I've, I've said, reiterated yeah. it. Um, I've spent a lot of time in insurance now. And what I've learned is that um, there's a there is probably more innovation happening in insurance than almost any other industry that I've seen, uh, besides maybe artificial intelligence. I mean, there is so much being put into insurance technology, and what you know, it's it's funny. We we focus a lot on insurance. Something I learned this year that insurance is responsible for ten percent of the GDP in the U.S. It is that significant a category in the United States in terms of business. And you know, that being said, it's finally getting the innovation focus that it should, that it never had before. But you've got a scenario now that you have, you know, while technology was moving forward the last 20 or 30 years, it really hasn't in insurance. And you have such a very strong sort of middle torso area of old school thinking and people who own the relationships, both on the carrier side and both on the, um, on the, on the policy buyer side, the end user side that they're not going anywhere and they're not getting disaggregated anytime soon. I think there is so much logjam and so much clutter in that space that's creating uh, a much more cumbersome environment that ever would need to be there uh, with a lot of other categories that you and I have dealt with over time. I love it. Ryan, did you have... uh... Yeah, well, Phil. What I mean, when I look at your LinkedIn profile, I see that there's a there's a three different organizations right now that looks like a board, a board member and a, a consultant and then managing director. Is it is Genesis Interactive taking up the bulk of your time right now? So Genesis Genesis Interactive is my consultancy. So yeah, that definitely takes up the bulk of my time. The uh, the, the 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 other consultant um, uh, title there is actually my. It's one of my clients in my consultancy, and they they asked me to take on a title. Um, so I added it to my LinkedIn profile in terms of the board member component. Um, that's a company actually that, um, we sold about a month ago. I do need to update my LinkedIn. Um, I've got a couple other projects that need to be added into LinkedIn, but that company was, uh, uh, an investment that I made in a SaaS in a SaaS business based on the finance industry, really some amazing technology. And that's, and that's where a lot of my focus will be, has started to go to. And we'll continue to go to is um, is enhanced software for these you know um, very large industries that are you know that are quite cumbersome. And I think I can bring uh, a fair amount of lead generation thought process in terms of how to build much better funnels for those businesses and create efficiencies and cut out a lot of that clutter that exists today. 
So for anybody listening right now, I mean, when is it the ideal situation to call on you as a potential consultant to come in? I mean, what, what stage do you like to get in in the business? Uh, I like to get into uh, uh, get to work with more mature companies. Um, I can bring a lot to the table in terms of relationships and you know a fair amount of know-how in terms of uh, innovation, changing some of their process and building a better mousetrap for what they do. Uh, largely, I've been I've been very good at building efficient businesses that you know are focused on the business, not on like I said earlier, not on the valuation, and really uh, creating enterprise value without without trying to focus on enterprise value um and and really just focus on you know uh, just creating day-to-day value into uh, into a business if anybody wants to get in touch or if there's anything that you you know last words on anything you'd like to promote please give it, give uh, it now. you know what two things one uh you can get in touch with me at phil at genesiscorp.co and uh, something I, I'd like to promote, I feel like, uh, you know, I feel like, you know, guest rounding up his time on the Howard Stern show, <laughs> <laughs> just with, you know, without any of the strippers. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm actually launching a very much non-legion uh, related product. Uh, it's a binge TV watching guide called bingereport.com. It's say it uh, one more time because I think we had a little bit of a breakup. What was what was the domain? It, it's a binge report. Dot com. So okay. B-I-N-G-E report.com. Uh, currently there is a, there is an, a, an accompanied app for, uh, for Android in the Google play store. Uh, Apple is being a lot more sticky in terms of uh, being able to make it through their process. So there currently is not an iOS app, but we finally broke through with what we need to do with them. And uh, there'll be an iOS app within the next two weeks. Either way, I welcome everybody who really needs, you know, who, who needs to fill their time in their day with TV or, uh, <laughs> or if they're just looking for the next thing to binge on to check out binge uh, and find, uh, and find your next binging show. Excellent. I love it. Sean, do you have any questions on that? On binge report? No, I guess it's for, for people who don't have a billion kids, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, there's nothing on there that I'm watching, but. <laughs> oh, you know what? Last one, last question. And, and I think it's an important one that, that we usually try to ask all, all uh, people that we have on the show is, is there anything that you're reading right now or that you've read that you would recommend to, to people that are either in the interactive space, the business world or, or insurance world that you you've enjoyed, or are you kind of reading mostly uh, fiction? So um, just completed a, a work of fiction, but uh, just before that, uh, and I read a lot of fiction to be, to be honest with you, but just before that I finished a, 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 a book that was recommended to, to me by a friend of mine. It's a, it's, it's a mind blowing book. It's called thinking fast and slow. Uh, by Daniel Kahneman. Mm. Thinking fast and slow. It's, he's a Nobel laureate, and um, he won it for that book. It's it's really one of the most amazing books you'll uh, you'll ever find in terms of managing your thought process in a business, uh, or just in business or in life. And uh, it, it 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 blew my mind. It's it, it really is um, a phenomenal work. I feel like he titled the book after my relationship with my wife. My wife's thinking fast and I'm always thinking slow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I think you're speaking for all of us there. <laughs> also, but in my case, it would be like talking fast and slow. 
<laughs> very good. Well, Phil, thank you so very much for your time and yeah, thanks, you provided. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Sean. Uh, thanks, Sean. I appreciate it. And uh, this has been fun. You guys, uh, you guys need some time to fill up some space. You call me back. <laughs> thanks so much. I right. really appreciate it. Take care, guys. Thanks, Phil. Bye-bye. Take Bye-bye. care. Bye-bye.